Welcome to the Let's Think Podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, sports, whatever we're thinking about. As always, you can contribute by sending email to comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you doing tonight? I'm well, Edward. I hope you are. I am good, my friend. Good. I hope you had a good Easter. It was a good Easter and trying to get back to work this week. How about you? About the same. It was a little hard to go to work Monday morning. Well, let's see what we're thinking about now. I think uh, one of the big story in the news recently has been this new law out of Georgia. Absolutely. It's affected not only politics, um, but uh, sports and has had a lot of uh, press and uh, electronic and uh, print. It's uh, It's everywhere. Sports radio. The news stations, the mainstream media, Twitter, you name it. It has taken over the news. And as we prepared for this, I know you and I both looked at it. What struck you first off about the law? One of the first things I heard about it was that the Georgia law was not as restrictive as some of the other states. Principally, what I heard was New York and Colorado. As I was preparing for this this afternoon, I saw that uh, at least somebody was saying that the Colorado law was not as restrictive uh, as had been alleged in the press. Um, so I don't know exactly how, how how true that is, but just the 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 vitriol and the the reaction to the law uh, is remarkable. Uh, and and you know I guess um, perhaps not surprising, but but maybe the the intensity. And uh, maybe even some of the volume is somewhat, uh, as I said, remarkable. Yeah, it is. I mean, election law is a very dry, as you know, is a very dry and arcane subject that not even a lot of lawyers know much about. Um, and uh, here it is dominating the news cycle for, what, are we going on a week or more? Uh, it's been at least a week, and yeah. some of this has to have been driven by President Biden's statements and allegations that this was Jim Crow on steroids. Right, and and now uh, you know he sort of not only greenlighted, but perhaps even was the impetus to move the All Star Game, uh, and now he's backed up uh, just today and said that uh, you know when those uh, when when events get moved, it 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 can and often does hurt the very people that, you know, you're, you're trying to, to help. So he's kind of left uh, the commissioner of baseball hanging out to dry because he had, uh, he had said that uh, he only did it. Well, let me back up. Stacey Abrams is now saying the same thing, that it, it tends that, that a move such as the all-star game only hurts, uh, in this case, African-American citizens in, in Atlanta. Um, and, and that's the exact opposite of what she wanted. Um, and uh, she's no longer in favor of that. But Rob Manfred had said he only moved the All-Star game after speaking with her. So he's kind of left out there on that limb. Um, I, I noticed some of the owners were saying today that uh, they didn't know it was going to happen until after it had happened. Um, and uh, they've got a, a PR problem any way you cut it, and no matter what they do now, you know. Yeah, and just along those lines, one of the statistics I've seen is that Cobb County, Georgia, is looking at a $100 million hit I saw that. to their economy because that was their anticipated 
I won't say proceeds, but the economic impact of uh, yeah, having the, an MLB All-Star game. Those dollars were turned over multiple times, even over the course of a, you know, a, a Monday, Tuesday, and maybe a little bit of a Wednesday window for that All-Star game. And that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And, you know, they were going to honor, Major League Baseball was going to honor Hank Aaron at the All-Star game because, you know, he, he passed away uh, early this year. Uh, and they may still do that, but it won't be the same as doing it um, in Atlanta where the Braves uh, are because, you know, he was a Brave for uh, the vast majority of his career. Um, you know, he played for the Brewers a little bit there at the end, but uh, he was a Brave. He worked for yeah, the Braves. You know, he was a VP. identified with the Braves yeah. from that iconic film image of the home run and him circling the bases. Which I think was April the 8th. So tomorrow would be the anniversary. Interesting. Well, yeah, I have to say that when I looked at SB 202, which was the name of the law, mm-hmm. I mean, and I have to say that as we talk through this, I have to bet that many of the politicians and talking heads on TV haven't bothered to read the entire bill, probably not even glance at it. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's 98 pages, and it makes some pretty comprehensive changes to Georgia election law. But just from the very beginning, I have to say that one thing that probably triggered some of the opponents was in the purpose statement where the legislators said they were trying to address a lack of confidence that voters had expressed about allegations of rampant voter fraud. And with uh, as political as the last election was, I'm sure that triggered a lot of people to be opposed to everything else that was in the bill. Oh, sure. 98 pages for an election law is, uh, I just was shocked at the, I guess, the breadth of this of this bill touches on most all aspects of even the nuts and bolts of of uh, of voting and how, how, how it happened. I, I you know, I, I feel like the legislature was. Uh, reacting to what happened in November. Polls show that roughly 50% of the country believes that that there was uh, widespread uh, election irregularities to fraud in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, just Arizona, just to name a, you know, uh, a handful. The purpose statement, even though you might disagree with it, I do think they were telling the truth about why they did it. Um, and uh, I'd be interested to know, and I don't know the answer to this, but you may. Um, was there any bipartisan support for the bill, or was it just Republican votes that passed it? My understanding is that it passed on a straight party straight line. Straight party bill. line. That's, that's what I would have expected. Um, but when we talk about a response to the last election and the breadth of the law, there were a couple of provisions in there which were specifically addressed to deal with issues that had come up before. For example, there is there is language in there that I had not heard reported anywhere else that um, if during the last election it took more than an hour for people to, to vote after standing in line, then that county is required to reduce the size of the precinct. And, and, uh, and that's in any one particular precinct. The way the law is written is if at the previous election a precinct contained more than 2,000 electors or voters, 
And if they had to wait in line for more than an hour before checking into the vote, the superintendent shall either reduce the size of such precincts so it has less than 2,000 people. Less than 2,000. So there is a specified number in the bill as to the size of the precinct. Because 2,000 people seems to me to be a very small precinct. But I, I guess what I was saying, uh, you, you know, who's going to be responsible for timing? And, the, the, you know, is somebody going to somebody or somebody's going to be uh, required to be appointed by, I guess, the local county or the local board of elections uh, the, to monitor how long the lines are? And is there some uh, some triggering event you know you get a certain number of people in line therefore you have to start timing and do you say okay there's the guy in the blue shirt he got here at whatever time i don't know i wasn't watching but he was the last one in line when i started watching therefore i'm you know the next guy or the next woman i'll start timing from that point uh, it's it's fraught with some peril i think um well and there's actually some language in the bill that wait time shall be measured at least three different times throughout the day, in the morning, midday, and prior to close of the poll. And the locals have to report those results on a specific form provided by the Secretary of State. So there is some accountability for that piece. Now, in practice, how does it play out? That's a good question. Yeah, how is it enforced? Yeah. Um, I guess potentially it's a criminal act. Well, there's language throughout the bill for accountability reviews to be conducted by the state if they believe that the local counties are not properly applying the law. And of course, if it's after the election, uh, do you go back and change the election? Can you? Um, and so it seems to me that, you know, I guess the Warnock seat was for the remainder of that term. So that, that election is coming up. Is it coming up in November? In November of 2022. Okay. So, so a little over 18 months. So they're going to get a taste of um, perhaps controversy and um, accusations on either way um, pretty quickly. Um, the other seat was for the full term, correct? That's right, That's six right. years. But but Kemp would be up in 2022, correct? Uh, yes, that's right. And the Secretary of State as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, given the, I guess, the relative strengths of both parties, it will be a battleground yet again, and this, this law will be tested. But that'll, that'll be an interesting study. Um, and there could be some municipal elections in 2021 where this will play into it. Yeah. In some of the bigger cities. Yeah. Um, One of the other aspects of the law, which I saw as a direct reaction, is that now by 10 o'clock on the night of the election, all the superintendents have to report to the secretary of state the raw number of the ballots that have been cast. Yeah, I saw that. Now, does that mean the total or the totals for each candidate or is that open to interpretation? No, as I understand it, that means the total number of ballots. Okay. So you know what the denominator is for the percentages. So, so, so what they're basically doing, in my opinion, is they are uh, establishing uh, in law that in Georgia, uh, it's unlikely to know the result of an election until 5 p.m. the next day. 
The law says it has to be known by 5 p.m. the next day, but on election night, you'll at least know how many ballots were cast. Right, and so you can do your, um, I guess, your exit polling to some extent, although 2004 showed us that exit polling, and 2016, too, exit polling is is uh, difficult at best. Um, it's it, I'm amazed that in the 70s and, and further back, you had paper ballots, and you knew on election night, who won? Um, and it's taking days, weeks, months. Um, in the case of, of uh, Bush v. Gore uh, and and court intervention or court action to determine who wins elections. And that, that is, a, in my opinion, a bad thing. I agree. Now, now part of the issue in Bush v. Gore was that we didn't have computers and people were hand-checking every ballot to check out those that's right. hanging chads, etc. Because the computers were think, antiquated. That's right. I, I do think this idea of reporting how many ballots is also designed to properly address the situation which was alleged in Fulton County where reporters were kicked out late at night and someone pulled some boxes out from under a table. Right. And there were videos uh, making the, the rounds on the Internet of that. They were in a suitcase, as I recall. Yes, that's right. Um, that, and that, that is exactly what, in my opinion, uh, what that uh, provision in the law is designed to avoid because it seems to me that that, as you said, by 10 p.m. on election night, X number of ballots, and that's it. It's only a question at that point of, how they're apportioned between or among the candidates. Um, there won't be any more. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, I suppose that that ought to be a comforting thing um, to to any anyone who thinks about it logically. Um, you shouldn't be voting after Election Day. Um, well, you know, that's that's that leads us right to a different question, I think, yes, which does. is that we that seem to have moved from an election day to an election week to election to weeks, weeks to, to maybe an election, election season. season. Yep. And one, and thing, one thing that this that bill seems to do is tighten that up so that people can't request an absentee ballot 180 days out, which was the old law. Uh, now they requested, I believe it's 11 weeks before the election. Right. 78 days, I think. Right. right. Um, yeah, I, I I don't like. I mean, I have since it's been the law, I have availed myself of early voting every time because it's convenient. But I don't think it's a good thing because, as you pointed out, everyone voting ought to have had at least the opportunity to know everything that everybody else voting in that same uh, race. Knows, uh, and if you vote early, that can't happen. Uh, and I, I've never been a big fan of people who say it's problematic that more people don't vote. I personally don't want someone who doesn't care enough to vote voting. By definition, they're apathetic, um, and it doesn't take that long. It shouldn't take that long. Uh, and, you know, it's not a hardship to vote on Election Day. And we've always had the traditional, at least since since the election of 1864, uh, the traditional um, uh, absentee military kind of ballots. And, yeah, I realize that, you know, somebody might go to the hospital uh, uh, after the deadline to file an application and so forth. I mean, those things happen. Uh, but this notion of 
in my opinion, using COVID as an excuse to move to a vote by mail system uh, is scary, dangerous. And, you know, all these other countries uh, have addressed the vote by mail and talked about how threatening it is to democracy uh, or to a Republican form of government. We ourselves as a country uh, in monitoring other countries' elections have done the same thing. There was the commission um, that was formed after Bush v. Gore, and I think um, Jimmy Carter was co-chair. That's and, right. And maybe maybe Gerald Ford, or maybe I can't remember who the Republican co-chair was, but I think it was President Ford. I'm not sure. Um, but they they issued a report dealing with the irregularities and the problems with Bush v. Gore. And one of the things that they talked about was how problematic voting by mail could be and would be. Um, and then we had, and in my opinion, again, um, uh, folks with uh, ulterior motives, uh, you know, uh, power-grabbing motives, uh, pushing that, using COVID as an excuse. And some, you know, I guess the Alex Jones types uh, would say that COVID was invented uh, as an excuse or released as an excuse or whatever. And I'm not saying that so that that could happen. And then you have you know, Supreme Courts in various states saying, you know, just choosing not to read words in the law and ignore them. Uh, and go completely 180 degrees in the other direction so that that would be legal. Uh, and you had our Supreme Court saying uh, you don't have standing before the election. Uh, and then after the election, you don't have standing. It's a moot point. Um, and, uh, you know, some, some, some group needs to get a handle on that because it's only going to get worse if they don't. And I, I hope... But this Georgia law is a step in that direction. I guess we'll see. Well, yeah, you've covered a lot there. Um, you know, just with respect to the last thing you said, one thing that happened in, during the last election were that you had executive branch officials, primarily boards of elections, and then in some states, Supreme Courts, changing the law when the U.S. Constitution pretty clearly says it's within the state legislature's authority to set the rules for the election shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. And, and let, let me, let me, let me tell, tell the listener, listener that, that, that Mr. Lee Allen there has, has a copy, copy of the United States, States Constitution, Constitution in front of him. He's reading it. It's uh, article one, section four. So, so when you hear on the news about how many states, states are taking up uh, voter legislation, legislation it is because many state legislatures feel like they were cut out of the process. Yeah. The Section 4 says the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations except as to the places of choosing senators. And I guess that's what Congress is trying to do, which we may have to save for a different episode. Yeah. Uh, but going back to what you said a moment ago, I agree with you. Early voting is awfully convenient. But I have I have a concern that people have 
different amounts of information when they vote. Well, take, for instance, Cal Cunningham, who ran uh, for Senate in our fair state this fall. And uh, well into the early voting period, there was a scandal that broke. Um, and, right. you know, um, up until that point, uh, Cal was ahead in the polls by a margin that was just about the margin of error, maybe a little little greater than the margin of error. Um, and it turned out he ended up losing. And who's to say that um, the reason he lost wasn't the scandal? I don't know. But, you know, all the people that voted, who uh, there has to be some portion of them who would have voted differently um, had they known. And it could be that they would have voted against Cal because of the scandal, but it also could be that they would have felt sympathy for him and said, you know, perhaps this is a dirty tricks or false accusations or whatever, or, you know, uh, and voted for him. I mean, I'm sure that it would have, there would have been some on each side and there was no way for them to know. No, nope. um, none for, for our, all of our international listeners. Lee's referring to the uh, 2020 senatorial race in North Carolina. Uh, the example I would also throw out for that is, is, President George W. W. Bush's election Mm -hmm. and the report report that came out, I believe it was the weekend before the general election, uh, where someone had uncovered a DWI arrest or DUI arrest for him from earlier in his life. Yeah, it actually was was published then. They had known about it for some time prior to that, uh, but sprung it. And again, if if you're into conspiracy theories... uh, some might say they did it intentionally as a last-minute October surprise. And, of um, course, we were in a different environment then without early voting, but suppose many people had voted, and some of those were members of Mothers Against Drug Driving sure. or other organizations who simply would not have voted for any candidate that had an arrest. That's right. And, and in fact, would have voted for another candidate with whom they might not agree about anything other than the fact that that person had not been convicted of driving while impaired. You know, and there are people out there who do that, and that's their business, and they ought not be deprived of that simply because there's this election season, as you so aptly put it, um, that lasts a month, six weeks. I don't remember exactly in North Carolina in, in the fall in November uh, for the November election of 2020, but it seems that it was early October. We started voting. It was about four weeks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, along this line, though, while we're talking about early voting, I think to bring it back to the Georgia legislation, one thing that they did there is actually more standardize the number of days and the hours for early voting. And this is one of the issues that the president just had absolutely wrong when he said that voting was cut off at five o'clock when working people got home. Well, that was only there's some some language in the legislation with respect to early voting that it has to be um, certain hours. But on election day, it goes until the final person in line votes as That's long right. as they were in line. If you if you get in line before the time that the polls close, you're allowed to vote no matter how long it takes, as you should be. Um, and, and that's just and, and, you know, the president, as you said, was just he just flat out wrong. Yeah. The prior Georgia law said that early voting would be, quote, conducted during normal business hours, end what, quote. Whatever that means. Yeah. Now it says nine to five on weekdays and on certain days as much as seven to seven, seven a.m. to seven p.m. at the registrar's discretion. Every county in this in our state 
has some ability and some discretion uh, as far as when early voting occurs. Do you have Sunday voting? Do you not? You know, um, and and when to stop it to switch over to election day voting and those kinds of things. And uh, that's um, that can be problematic and and potentially um, concerning. Uh, as well, well. It can be. and I would point out that Georgia also is kind of unique. They have 159 counties there. There's a big difference between the urban area surrounding Atlanta, mm-hmm. some of the other large cities, Columbus, Macon, Savannah, to come to mind, and then huge areas of the state which are more rural and which don't have the same resources and don't have the same population. That's right, and and you you, you can't feed them out of the same spoon. And expect it to go well for both. You know, either the big uh, uh, urban uh, or even suburban areas are going to suffer as a result of a law designed too much for the rural counties or the opposite. The rural counties will suffer if they're, you know, burdened with some of the obligations that are are really meant for the, the urban centers. Because uh, they just don't have the resources. Two other things that I think we have to touch on are the voter ID piece, as mm-hmm. well as this story that's made its way through the media about food and water not being allowed by people waiting in line. First, on the, on the voter ID piece, the law specifies you know, what you can use for an ID, the driver's license, including an expired driver's license. Uh, I, was, I was amazed at that. The expired, expired driver's, driver's license. license. Absolutely, yeah. You can even get an ID just from your county uh, registrar, elections registrar, just to vote for them. Yes. And and uh, I, I personally think that the argument that it is racist to say that a certain segment of the population can't obtain, it doesn't know how to obtain an ID, um and the, it, it, I think that's bad. I think that's a racist argument. Um, you, you're, you're basically saying you, you, you uh, your group is um, unable um, to meet this minimum requirement, which is a very low bar. Um, and and I, I, I'm troubled by that. Um, you know, there are not many people that don't have IDs. And no, there, there's so many things in our day and time that you need some type of ID to be able to do. Absolutely. Uh, and, and going back to the Major League Baseball, since, since they sort of inserted themselves into this argument, um, with the COVID restrictions especially, um, if, if you're going to pick up will call tickets for any Major League game, you've got to have an ID. And people say, well... You know, that's uh, picking up tickets to a ball game as opposed to a, to voting. Well, which is more important. Which is more important. Well, and let's just say also you don't have to have a license to vote. You have, to, just have, have, identification to, prove, you have to have identification to prove that you are who you claim to be. That's right. And there are lots of different options for that identification. A driver's license or state ID, a passport, an ID issued from a government agency as you, your employer military ID or a tribal ID. Okay. Okay. I, I assume, and I did not look at this, but I, I did see that the Board of Elections could issue an ID for purposes of voting. Is there a That's cost correct. to that? 
No, that is that that's is what I free thought. identification. Just as in this in this state, you can get a free ID from DMV yep. that won't let you drive a car, but it, it, it does serve as a state recognized uh, ID um, for purposes of voting or, or anything else. And you could do that in Georgia also. It's called the Department of Driver Services, DDS. You can get a free ID. From but you can also just go to your county seat to the uh, elections registrar and get an ID for voting from there. So you have two options down in Georgia. Yeah. Wow. More than two, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last thing, which I think has gotten a lot of attention, which is which seemed to be undeserved when I read the law, has to do with this this idea that no one can give a bottle of water to someone waiting in line. Which, of course, not unlike the uh, the information about uh, the polling place closing at five, is just wrong. It is you, just wrong. You, you can. It's just you can't do it if you're doing it on behalf of a candidate. Um, and and that, that makes, to me, that makes all the sense in the world. You, yeah. get, you, know, you cannot give a candidate or a candidate's worker or a volunteer. Or a party. Or a party. Uh, can't give a thing of value to a voter uh, at the polls, period. Um, and it's, you know, uh, and I assume it's this way in Georgia, but, you know, electioneering, which is anything uh, to do with trying to convince someone to vote for or against a particular candidate or ballot measure, cannot be conducted within a certain geographic limit at each polling place. And uh, at some point, like, you, you know, if you, and I know around in our state, you know, if you go into the polling place, you're, you're not supposed to wear campaign regalia uh, and you're not supposed to conduct, you're not supposed to say anything, you know, vote, vote for Ed or, or whatever in the polling place itself or within so many feet of it. But clearly giving out water or food um, with, identifying with a candidate is electioneering and if folks are in line, it doesn't need to happen. Yeah. And it's in section 33 of the bill It's limited to 150 feet of the polling place. Typically when you go to vote, you see a sign up. That's right. Marking off what the, the demarcation area is. You can pretty much do what you want within the bounds of the law outside of that. That's right. Passing out leaflets or asking for votes or giving people a water bottle with the name of your candidate on it. Once you hit that 150-foot marker, though, you cannot do that. Yeah, and and I, I mean, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, logic to that, um, you know. And it's nothing that prevents. Well, first of all, I, I guess m my concern would be folks shouldn't be standing in line that long to vote. You know, right. if they are, there's a problem. Um, and I recognize that happens from time to time, but this law specifically says when it happens, next time we're going to make you shut down the <laughs> the. Uh, uh, the, the size of the uh, precinct so that it doesn't happen again. And, and most folks are not voting in July and August heat. Uh, you know, so giving them water is not life-saving. There's nothing that prevents them from bringing their own water or food. There's nothing that would prevent, uh, you know, a voter from giving food or water to another voter as long as they're not doing it you know, with a political motive or labels, you know, I think if I, as I understand, as I read this statute, if you and I are in line and I have a thermos of water or a bottle of water and I hand it to you, that's, that's our business. You know, as long as I don't say vote for, you know, whoever, uh, when I'm doing it or that I don't have a sticker or a label on the bottle. 
There's uh, nothing in the law that prohibits that. And that, that brings me to some interesting language that is in the law, that's in the bill, which modifies the law, which says that it does not prevent the poll from, quote, making available self-service water from an unattended receptacle to an elector waiting in line to vote. Which to me which means I think water would fountain. be a, a water fountain. Yeah. Which in a lot of public buildings, there still are water fountains. Yes, there are. Uh, probably not being used in the age of COVID, um, but they're that there. crime scene tape across the front <laughs> of them now. That's right. That's right. Uh, I, I think that that was, um, I think there have been some uh, disingenuous uh, reporting on this part of the statute uh, designed to uh, alarm and inflame the public. And people have seized onto this, um, and they don't know. Um, and it's being talked about and re-reported and, and so forth, and it's just wrong. Um, but that brings us to the aftermath, which is what the state of Georgia has had to deal with. I guess one of the most notable effects has to do with the MLB All-Star game being moved to Colorado. You mentioned this at the top of the show, but there have been some reports out about what the election laws are like in Colorado. And uh, from what I've seen, they are not terribly more liberal than Georgia, and in some respects may not be as liberal yeah. in Georgia, as in Georgia, especially relating to early voting. And and I note that uh, the consensus seems to be that the New York election laws are not as liberal as Georgia's and in many respects. Major League Baseball has not moved its 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 home, its office from New York City. And I also note that Rob Manfred is a member uh, at Augusta National, um, and he has been um, asked if he intends to resign that membership, uh, and he has said no. And I also believe uh, or understand that he was asked if he intended to uh, attend this weekend's uh, or this week's, I guess, starting tomorrow, uh, Masters tournament, and he would not commit to not attending. Um, so, um, be an uh, interesting photo to see. It, yeah. Let's just put it out here, Mr. Manfred. If you decide to give up your membership, we will voluntarily relieve you of that guilt. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I, I found that to be most interesting. You know, um, put your money where your mouth is, Rob. Uh, yeah. If 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 you believe this to be the right thing, then it it, it you need to be consistent. Um, and uh, again, I and I checked. April the eighth is the anniversary. April the eighth, nineteen seventy four, is the anniversary of Hank Aaron hitting uh, seven fifteen. So that's tomorrow. And it, it just seems to me that it, it 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 really would have been special to have honored him in Atlanta. Uh, at the All-Star game following his, his death. And, you know, now that's gone, and um, the president seems to back up on his uh, his opinion on that. Stacey Abrams has backed up on hers. And as you said, $100 million, uh, that could have helped a lot of people. Uh, a lot of small businesses, a yeah. lot of minority businesses would have kept been cash circulating through the economy. Right. And, and, and they were already hurt, um, for the most part, by COVID. So, you know, they, they were suffering for the, uh, you know, most small businesses, um, and that would have meant a lot. And now it's gone. Um, and I'm not sure that folks thought it through. 
which we're we're trying to uh, ourselves anyway think through these issues, right? Absolutely, that's what we're here for. We're not going to react. We're going to no. think through it. Um, so let's let's keep it in the state of Georgia because the right. Masters. We're, we're recording this on Wednesday. Masters starts tomorrow morning. Who are you picking? Um, I, I think uh, I think I would say Lee Westwood. Um, he's had a uh, a bit of a run the last six or seven months. And has been playing well, and frankly, I think he is due in terms of a major. Um, he's finished uh, second in all four majors. Um, and at his age, uh, he's sort of running out of opportunities, although he's playing very well despite his age. I think he's 46 or 7. Um, I, I'm, if I had to bet, and I'm not a betting person, but if I had to bet, I'd kind of put my money on him. Okay. I, I think my dark horse, uh, my surprise – Sleeper uh, is uh, Will Zalatoris. Um, he's gone from uh, no status on even the Corn Ferry Tour 17 months ago to top 50 in the world playing in the Masters. And he's not won on the PGA Tour, uh, but I think it's a matter of time. He hits the ball far, um, and uh, I think this course suits him. And uh, I guess to be uh, uh, completely transparent, he is a demon deacon. So uh, uh, he's my he's my sleeper pick. How about you? You know, the easy pick would probably be Dustin Johnson, who dominated just a few months ago because, of course, in 2020, the Masters was not held in its normal April time slot. Yeah. Um, he destroyed he, it. He destroyed it. It's hard to win twice in a row, though. Um, so I'm probably looking at maybe someone else. Jordan Spieth won last week. Maybe he's on a little roll. Rory McIlroy hasn't uh, hasn't really lived up to uh, his name recently, so he might be a good choice. Probably one of those three. Yeah, I think those are all uh, wise choices, and I uh, I think uh, particularly Rory. You know, he's 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 a Masters win from the career Grand Slam, and uh, you you got to think uh, as 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 well as he plays and as solid as his game is. Uh, he's he he's gonna do it, and and you know, no time like the present. Um, and uh, as you said, Dustin Johnson, I mean, uh, he's the best in the world right now. Uh, and Spieth is hot. He's been playing well for the last uh, last few months. Um, and he did uh, he did win on the Sunday. Um, and I uh, I spent my Sunday afternoon watching that. Uh, and uh, he didn't back into it. You know, he, he went out and won. And uh, got to have a lot of confidence. It uh, should be some good golf this I weekend. Hope so. Let's just put it that way. I hope so. Augusta National is one of the most beautiful courses in the world. It should it's, be in uh, It's one of the shape. most beautiful places in the world, and it is television does not do it justice. No. It really does not. Well, it's been a good show. Um and we want to thank you for joining us with the Let's Think podcast. We tried to break it down for you and think about some topics which aren't being thought about by the major media. Um, so, as always, you can contribute by sending email to comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit subscribe so our future episodes will populate into your podcast host. We'll see you next time. We will. Thank you.